You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. You're tuned into another episode of The Chris and Joe Show. I'm Joe DeLeon. Joined by Chris Flum. We've got yet another mailbag episode for you folks. Training camp seemingly is starting up soon, meaning there is a little bit of time before the season starts to answer any other possible questions that you have about the Giants roster, depth chart situations, uh, any other issues related to who could they possibly sign how things are shaping out for draft picks, anything related to the Giants roster, we are going to be answering those questions. And we have seven really good questions this week. So thank you to everyone who sent them in. A couple didn't make the cut. So we still appreciate everyone who did comment questions. We'll possibly circle back and answer those the next time we do a mailbag. But if you would like to send us your questions, feel free to send them to either of our Twitters, at Joe DeLeon and at RaptorMKII or... Comments under our weekly polling for questions on Facebook. And also you can send it into the message uh, function on Facebook if you have any questions that you'd like us answered. So a lot of opportunities to send in questions. We answer pretty much most conversations and question points that, that people want to know about. Maybe lump a couple together if there are some similarities between them. First question that we have, very good one. Big fan of this question here, Kemet. Smith wants to know, what will the Giants do to stop those big yard pass plays that killed us all last year? Will the new players be the answer? So this is a really good point, and it's something that I think a lot of people are wondering about is, are we going to see a lot of last year with the secondary, or are we going to be a little bit more comfortable in games that we're not worried about constant 40, 50 yard passing plays gashing the Giants defense defense despite them doing well on first and second down. So those new players are going to be so, so key. James Bradbury, Xavier McKinney. But there's a couple other things, Chris, that might really factor into more improvements than just those two guys. Yeah, yeah. I think before we can say what the Giants will do to stop those big plays that gashed them. I think we need to kind of take a step back and identify why those big plays happened. You know, first you have to identify a problem before you can fix it. And quite a few of those big plays came from communication breakdowns, guys being out of position, either, you know, DeAndre Baker not seeming to know what the play call was to Antoine Bethea just not having the athleticism to get there anymore. And also guys just 
being forced to play against their strengths. Now, I, I'm sure there was a reason why James Betcher called as much zone coverage as he did. I Perhaps it was to maybe try to protect all of the young guys in his secondary, but it really didn't work to the strengths of Janoris Jenkins or Corey Ballantyne or Sam Beal or DeAndre Baker or really any of them. I hope, hope at least that Patrick Graham will call more of the press man coverage that seems to play to a lot of these young players' strengths. And also, as you said, the additions of James Bradbury, Xavier McKinney, you know, guys who are both good communicators, but also a little bit longer, a little bit taller, a little bit more athletic, so they can play that press coverage and really disrupt routes. And then from there, it will just come down to execution. I honestly, and this is probably more of the the jovial outlook on it, is I, I think that now that James Betcher is gone, you'll have less seriously disadvantageous situations for various guys. So it's it's like now we're probably not going to have players that shouldn't be in various positions to get gashed. Like if you look at week one, that was the clear indication that we were on a downward slope because Antonio, I think it was Antonio Hamilton was out there playing outside corner and he was just getting torn apart during that game. So it almost seemed like they didn't know who to put where they didn't know who to trust. And then they were putting them in really bad situations. So they kept getting killed. DeAndre Baker was in situations where he was off coverage in zone where he wasn't able to understand his role and what he was going to be doing when you should have been using his strengths, which is playing in press coverage, running with guys, following guys, playing tight like that. I, DeAndre Baker was just not good in zone situations, and you saw him making tons of responsibility mistakes and improperly analyzing his his responsibility on those plays. The other thing, too, that you brought up, Chris, is that communication. It's a different look now of players that are in this secondary. Antoine Bethea is gone. You add in Bradbury and McKinney. I think that there's a strong veteran presence, but there's still a talented group that there won't be mishaps from a lack of talent, but at the same time, an overall improvement in in football IQ, that there will be cohesive communication. And also, we can at least hope for improvements in the pass rush to help them out as well. You know, last year, the Giants had really one of the worst four-man pass rushes in the NFL. So they needed to dial up blitzes to generate any kind of pressure, at least consistently. And the Giants were one of those rare teams that when they sent extra rushers, when they pressured quarterbacks, quarterbacks actually played better in some respects. They had almost no drop-off in completion percentage. They had longer passes. They were completing longer passes. That's really just not a good thing, obviously. <laughs> and you know, hopefully if the Giants can get a more consistent pass rush from O'Shane Zimenez from the addition of Kyler Fackrell. You know, maybe these guys and the defensive line like uh, Dexter Lawrence taking a step forward. Hopefully that can put more consistent pressure on offenses so the Giants don't have to put 
guys in their secondary in compromised positions to try to dial up extra pressure. Next question for today's mailbag episode. This one's a bit of a long one. We're not going to hit on all of the parts that were added in on this, but here's the question from Matt Annunziata. Let's have fun play GM. You had an article about a week ago going over who was still around if the Giants never traded away their draft picks for Leonard Williams. So let's say they didn't make that trade. Based on how the Giants drafted, who would you have taken at that spot? So there were a couple other questions of how that would have affected the remainder of the draft, but for the sake of not talking about this for 45 minutes because you could go down so many paths after this pick, which was pick 68 in round three. The list of guys that we really analyzed and the ones that made the most sense were Zach Bond, I think, would have been a lock for this pick. Yeah, just put that in ink for me, Zach uh, Bond. (laughs) Honestly, I I don't think you need to overcomplicate it because they were big fans of of Bond before the draft. And if he was available, I think at that pick for where Matt Pert was taken, they would have taken Bond instead of Pert. That is still pure speculation. However, Bond or Hennessy and Cushenberry, I think, would have been on the table for those selections, either a center or going with the the talented edge rusher in Bond. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, I think Bond is or would have been the front runner to be that pick at 68 because he is able to get after the passer. He's very smart. He has the ability to play in space. So those are just all things the Giants defense desperately needed. Yeah. Then there's also the centers. You know, we saw just how much the Giants invested in their offensive line this year. And this is going to be a question we get to in the second half. You know, the, the center, position is still a question so i could definitely see uh matt hennessy or lloyd cushenberry really depending on which one they liked for their intended blocking scheme i could see them both being in play there but i would have been stunned if they had the pick and it wasn't zach bond and if for whatever reason they didn't go with bond hennessy cushenberry could have been in play there were some talented tackles still available with Josh Jones and Lucas Niang. However, we don't really know if the Giants possibly valued Pert over those two guys, so that might not really have affected much. Additionally, some other players that caught our eye, uh, Devin DuVernay, the receiver out of Texas, and then finally Terrell Lewis, the edge out of Alabama. So there, there were a lot of really talented players that could have also been New York Giants if they chose to not trade Leonard Williams. We'll have to see if any of these guys actually pan out to be better than Leonard Williams. But as you can see, as, you know, in our perspective, as most fans' perspective, we're still a little hurt from that trade because of the, the, this list of names that are seemingly a lot of possible fringe first-rounders pre-draft could have been members of the New York Giants. Next question we have from Cody Kayser. What is the ceiling for this team? Can their offense be a top half of the league offense? So we'll we'll address that second half of the question in terms of how this offense could possibly perform and the highest possible peak for it. Chris, you pointed out and acknowledged when we were doing show notes that this Giants offense was a little bit below that halfway point statistically in points per game. So a realistic projection for me is them hitting a 
a possible peak, not a guarantee, but their ceiling for me is going to be right at that midway point. If they if everything works swimmingly and everything is perfect for them offensively, right at 15, 16, or 17 makes the most sense because not, not saying that this Giants offense can't be very, very good at best possible scenario, but you have to consider all the teams ahead of them that got better, added a lot of talent during the draft, and the Giants didn't really add many weapons during the draft. So there's there's other offenses that just got significantly better that were already very, very good. This is one of the things about the NFL offseason is just about everybody gets better. And that is especially true on offense. You know, a team like the Tennessee Titans, they might not have made any splashy moves, but they will have Ryan Tannehill for all 16 games. Uh, A.J. Brown, who emerged as one of the best rookie receivers, is going to be their number one receiver for all 16 games. And just the addition of those two guys in the second half of their season, that that was really what powered them into the playoffs. You can even look at the play of Derrick Henry, and he got to be more productive and more consistent once those two guys emerged for the Titans. So even something as simple as that should help their offense. And they were they're ranked above the Giants, or at least they were by the end of last year. Then you have, you know, the Cowboys getting Mike McCarthy as their head coach and adding CeeDee Lamb in the draft. Uh, you have the San Francisco 49ers adding players. And, you know, really the the whole thing is a moving target. Can we say whether the Giants will be in that maybe top 12, top 10 range? Yeah, I don't know. But the certainly right around, as you put it, 15, 16, 17, at least for points per game, that does seem like a realistic ceiling for the team. Yards per game, the Giants were at 23rd, I believe, last year. You know, can they get better there? Uh, sure, especially if they make better use of Saquon Barkley, you know, if he's healthy for all 16 games or as many games as are played. And, you know, if maybe the Giants throw him the ball downfield once or twice, that'd be nice. Or, you know, the same with Evan Ingram. If they get him involved down the field, that really should help open up their offense and help them to reach that ceiling. Right. And very similar to, like I said, I I don't think that this is me saying they can't be capable of being a really good offense. This is me saying that they could be very good, but there's just too much going on ahead of them and teams that are just slightly a little bit better and teams that already did last year that made improvements just off of the, the, the 49ers and what they did in free agency and through the draft, they were a very good offense last year. They're going to continue to improve and get better in seemingly a, a, a continuous run of success for them. We've got a few more questions to answer here. Before we get to them, we're going to take a really short commercial break. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Here's an interesting one from Rob Leonard. He wants to know, what do you guys think OBJ's legacy with the Giants will be? Will he be considered a great Giant? Chris, I'll let you take this one first. Okay, yeah, I would say that is a complicated question. A simple answer is, will he be considered a great giant? Probably not. Yeah, I think I don't think he was with the Giants long enough to really cement that kind of uh, all-time, go-down-in-the-record-books greatness. I think if he were still a giant, if he was a career giant, I think he absolutely would be. I also think there is a lot of animosity towards him. Uh, part of it is due to things he did or, you know, like the boat trip or did say, but also I think some of it is due to a, maybe in some cases, some media outlets trying to uh, create narratives, create stories, create interests in years that were otherwise, uh, kind of forgettable for for the Giants. You know, like ESPN can't talk about Odell without showing that clip of him hitting the kicking net with his helmet or, you know, the blow up with Josh Norman, which that was frankly a failure of both coaching staffs and the referees before it even got to be the a failure for the players. Odell's place in Giants history is going to be really complicated, but that also shouldn't make people forget just how great he was when he was here. I mean, his first two years were better than pretty much any other receiver in the history of the league, except for Randy Moss. Yeah, His rookie year, he rewrote record books in a way that we haven't seen a giant do since Lawrence Taylor. So that was the caliber of player the Giants had. And I, all of the things aside, I don't think that should be forgotten. Right. Th- this is... Not an easy question to answer because of all of the contributing factors that went into Odell's career with the Giants. If you look at how long he was there, he wasn't there for a significant enough time to really say he was an all-time great Giant. He didn't have an extended career here. He ended up getting traded based on Dave Gettleman wanting to move on from him. We don't entirely know the, the full details if that was a push to clear him out because they didn't like what, what he was bringing to the locker room atmosphere. The way I look at it with OBJ, though, is because what of what he was capable of doing early on in his career as a rookie in his first few seasons, being one of the best receivers in the league, being very, very dominant, 
making an iconic catch that will forever be considered one of the best catches of all time. That is enough for me to consider OBJ as one of the best rookies the Giants have ever had and also one of the best young players the Giants ever had. But I would not put him in the conversation of best all time simply, and I'm going to keep this as simple as possible, just for the simple reason that Odell has not and was not with the Giants for a very long time. He was only, what was it, five seasons, Chris, that he was with the Giants? I just don't think that's enough to really say he is an all-time great. Now, he did a lot of great things statistically, but just not not enough longevity here in New York. Yeah, I I think maybe the most fair way to say it is that he might not be an all-time great Giant, but at least as far as, far as the Giants are concerned, he was one of the greatest talents they've ever had. Exactly. That's the, that's the perfect way to summarize our thoughts on on obj next question that we have from nyg news updates so this account this twitter account sent us three questions we're going to hit on all three of them here to wrap up today's show first one being the center uh, center is such a critical position on the line do you think gates or lemieux having the time to learn the position before the start of the season or will they go with a vet like Jalapio or Pulley? So we talked about the the deal with Jalapio, him, him technically not being on the roster in the meantime. But I will say the fact that there are, are not going to be any preseason games, the fact that preseason practices are going to be very different. There were no OTAs. It is going to be very difficult for a non-center, a guy with no real center experience, to pick it up quickly and impress the coaching staff enough to make that move and start him at center. I still don't think Lemieux is going to be a center. I think they're going to keep him at guard. But Gates, I will give a slighter edge despite having to make that transition if he does end up trying to play center because he's been in the league before. Yeah, I I think, you know, like of their options, I think the heavy favorite is for them to go with Spencer Pulley. You know, like you said, there's not going to be any preseason. There really hasn't been much of a an off season to speak of. So that's going to make it really hard for the young guys, either of them, I think, to make that transition and really give them the option to inspire trust in the coaching staff. And I think that trust, just given the way everything has gone so far and the importance of the center position as the guy who calls protections, who is, who gives the double teams with either of the guards uh, is responsible for uh, in some blocking schemes. Anyway, working up to the second level to block linebackers, you know, this, the center is responsible for so much that I think even just from the mental perspective, they're going to want to go with, a veteran just to have that you know seen it done it and to have that continuity in the middle so they don't have the protection breakdowns or at least they have fewer protection breakdowns the next question from nyg news updates is i have concerns about the limited time players will have to prepare for the season how do you think the shortened off season will impact the rookies and undrafted free agents so we've we've hit on this a little bit in the positional previews. The general gist here is that it is significantly harder to make a roster as a UDFA for this offseason than it has ever been. 
There's no preseason games where you're playing a significant amount of time to prove yourself. You're not going to get as many reps in practice because you need that limited time now to prepare your first and second teams to be at the same level, especially for a new coaching staff that is implementing a new offense. There's a lot of install going on during these practices. They need to refine all of those bumps with the first team not as many reps for the second team, but primarily the first team. If you're not in that rotation, you're not going to get really any reps. And if you're not getting any meaningful reps and you're used on scout team, well, then it's a lot more difficult to make the case for for getting on the roster. There is just way less of a chance to make the team if you're an undrafted free agent. It, it's terrible. It's It absolutely sucks that this is the one, one season where these guys are going to be in a really, really tough spot. Yeah, and for a lot of these guys, this is their one chance. So, yeah, honestly, for a lot of these young guys, I I just feel absolutely terrible for them. And that's not just the undrafted free agents. A lot of the late-round draftees, like the Giants' four seventh-round picks, yeah, they're these guys are all basically trying to start their NFL careers behind an eight behind the eight ball. So, it's going to have an impact on them and also just for the rookies who even the more highly drafted rookies the ones who are pretty much guaranteed roster spots they i think are going to have a much much steeper learning curve than a drafty rookie would have in a previous season you know they didn't have otas they didn't have rookie minicamp minicamp with the whole team they're not going to have the preseason games of going against other squads or potential inner squad scrimmages. They're not going to have like even that third preseason game where teams more or less have their dress rehearsals and actively scheme against each other. So there are going to be a lot of players who their first NFL action is going to be an NFL regular season game. And yeah, that is... That, that's less than ideal to say the least. I think we should really expect some bumps in the road, rough sledding, you know, maybe even some flat out ugly football for the first month. It's it's not going to be an easy transition to the NFL for these rookies, considering the current circumstances with everything going on. Our final question that we have here is, do you see BJ Hill and RJ McIntosh making big contributions this year or could either be in danger of not making the roster. The way we see it, and then the way we talked about it on the defensive line preview, B.J. Hill, yes, he's going to be in the rotation. He's one of the more talented defensive linemen that the, the Giants have right now. He just ends up being behind Leonard Williams in priority of getting on the field. McIntosh is probably going to get cut. He hasn't really done much. He hasn't done anything to impress anyone. Hasn't even really got on the field. So he is a, a big cut candidate right now. Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly the way I see it. I think Hill will be on the field. He will be a contributor. If he can get the right matchups, uh, hopefully maybe take a step forward in his third season. Maybe he can even be something of an impact player for the Giants because he does have good size and good strength. He's also a good athlete, especially for a guy of his size. He has the ability to play pretty much anywhere any one of the those defensive tackle spots the Giants want to line him up at. And you know, as long as he can use his tools, 
he should be a contributor and I don't think it's unfair to look for him to have a legitimate impact. You know, as for McIntosh or uh, Chris Slayton, another uh, late round defensive lineman that doesn't get talked about much. I, I, at this point, I would almost be surprised if they made the final roster. All right, that's it for this mailbag episode of the Chris and Joe Show. Be sure to follow us on social media at Joe DeLeon, at Raptor MKII, and uh, at Big Blue View. Also, rate and subscribe wherever you've been listening to us, and head to our website, BigBlueView.com. We've got one more positional preview next week. Hope you enjoyed this episode. The safeties will be the final one. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, The world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.